You are listening to a Whitebridge Baptist Church sermon podcast. Uh, to bring a message to also give a little bit of a Living Bible Explorers update. It's kind of, you know, my shtick. I usually bring the adorable photos to butter you up so that you're all ready for me and you think I'm wonderful because cute kids. Not doing that this Sunday. Today I want to just tell you two stories from this summer. I want to tell you two stories about two girls that have been coming to my program at Living Bible Explorers. But before I tell you what their summers were like, I want to give you a context for, for that. And so you need to understand a little bit about their homes. The first girl, we're going to call her Jessica. And Jessica's home is the opposite of stable. Jessica has grown up in a home where her father is ill most of the time. Um, and so he struggles to take care of the kids in the family. I also want to tell you about Sally and the home Sally grows up in. And Sally, as we'll call her, has grown up in a home where she is a foster child, but she is a foster child with her aunt and step-uncle. So there, is, there are two parents in the home caring for Sally. In Jessica's case, there are two parents, but only one is really in the picture. Her mother uh, struggles with addiction, and to pay for her addiction, she prostitutes herself. And she comes in and out of, of Jessica's life um, and disappears for weeks on end. She will go and live in a hotel and go on a bender and then periodically come back into her kids' lives, which is almost harder than it is any good. Sally's home is not perfect, but it's stable. She has two foster parents who care for her and love her and set boundaries and are firm, but lovingly so. And for those of you who are under the age of 18, or maybe, you know, we'll make a little bit of flex in that range, boundaries might seem like they suck, but they don't. They are so necessary. And so these two girls, those are the homes they come from. And as this summer started, Jessica started coming with her sister to our program. Jessica uh, started coming with her sister who's been coming to our lunch program for a while now. And it's become a, a joke ritual as, as I drive the bus dropping kids off after our programs that Jessica and her sister, they always want to be last to be dropped off because they want to spend time with us. And so it becomes the joke ritual that I forget them in drop-offs and bring them back to our building and one of my female leaders will eventually drive them home so that they can spend as much time with us as I can give them, given their home situation. Sally has been around LBE a long time. She has grown up coming to our kids program 
And this was her first year in grade seven. And it was the first year where her friends became a little bit more of her choice. And she has always had a stubborn and slightly rebellious spirit within her. And this, this school year, she fell in with the rough crowd in her school. She met older kids who were up to no good, shall we say, and began to emulate them in the way she walked her life. And so these two girls came to our programs this summer, and Jessica started getting more and more connected. And as she came from her rough home, she began to find a new home with us and a community of believers. And it came to a head in early August when she, I looked at her during one of our teens' churches, one of our youth nights, as one of my staff was sharing the gospel and, and sharing a bit of her testimony. And Jessica had tears streaming down her face. She... She was bawling, and as, as the sermon, or as the message, as the, the gospel ended, um, that staff who, who had known her and been walking with her for a couple months now, took her aside to the corner, and they spent a bunch of time sitting in the corner together. And when Jessica came back, the tears were still there, she was still puffy, but she had surrendered her life to Jesus. She had, she had given herself over and received the salvation that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ offers. Sally, at the beginning of the summer, decided that the boundaries that she lived under in her foster home were too strict. And so she having grown up in the, in the foster care system and knowing kind of how to play it a little bit, managed to get herself removed and placed into a new foster home in June that was more permissive, where the foster parent did not have the relationship with her, did not know her history, did not know where she was coming from entirely. And my staff and I watched this summer as she spiraled. We watched as the sadness and brokenness and anger within her hardened her towards the people that loved her, towards us, towards her family that cared. We watched as she stubbornly decided to take control of her own life and be her own boss. And in August, about the same time that Jessica met Jesus, Sally ran away from home, from her foster home. And she has stayed a little bit in touch with some of my leaders, she has gotten mad and blocked a few on Facebook. She has let us know that she is safe in the physical sense, but right now she is living, remember she just finished grade seven, she is living with a guy and his, I believe, grandmother, as much as we've been able to glean. And her goal right now is to get pregnant. And she is saying, last I heard, that she is pregnant because she wants to create a family for herself and her desire to gain control over what she feels is uncontrollable has led to that. And so I want to bring these two stories to you. 
one, to give you a bit of a knowledge of how to pray. Because today is about prayer. But also because I don't want you to look at these stories dramatically. Yes, they are dramatic, but here is the truth. Everyone who has lived in the last 2,000 years of human history is either Sally or Jessica. We are all one or the other. We all have the choice placed before us of faith. There is a God who came to earth as Jesus Christ who lived and died to take the place of our sins and the penalty that that should have that that should have had on us. And he came to take that so that we could put our faith in him, receive salvation, and live a life surrendered and submitted to the God who created everything. But there is another path, and that is the path of rebellion and hardness and pride. And as we come to James for the last time, the reason I tell these stories is because James has a heart to see each one of us choose faith. He has the heart to see each one of us come to know a life that is submitted to Christ. And as we come to our scripture, as we come to our passage at the very end of James, I want you to keep that in mind. Because James, I love, I love the book of James. I love his letter to the early church and those who grew up in the Jewish community. I love his letter to that people and to us because James is a blunt man. James is not a man who pulls punches in the way he writes. As the Holy Spirit inspired his writing, James packed a lot into few words, and he didn't pull punches with those words. But in that, he is a practical man, and sometimes we can get bogged down in the practicality of what he is saying and lose sight of his heart which is that we would come to have faith in Jesus Christ. And so I invite you to stand with me as we, as we dive into our scripture today. James chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, 
If one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is God's word for us today. You may take a seat. Jesus, as we come to your word today, I ask you, I ask you to let only your truth land home today. I ask you to bless us to receive what you have for us from this. And I ask you to be with me as I share. In your name I pray. Amen. This last passage of James is James outlining some of why faith is important, some of the how of faith, and for us, it is a a framework but not a formula for our life of faith. As we start, this passage is about three things. It is about healing. It is about prayer. And it is about faith. And it is about the relationship between those and how, as Christians we walk our faith out. And the first thing I want want us to, to understand is that as James writes this, he is writing to us. He does not write, are you in trouble? Or another translation, are you suffering? He does not write, are you happy? He does not write, are you sick? He writes, is any one of us suffering? Is any one of us sick? Is any one of us happy? The first thing that James teaches us in this walking out of prayer and faith in the seeking of healing, is that it is a community thing. We are not meant to live our lives in the silo of just us and God. We are us and God. And that is something I think North America misses out on. And I think James is one of the hardest books to read as a North American if we are being truly honest with ourselves. Because James is a book that talks about openness and humility and speaks directly against pride more than than you see in a lot of books in Scripture. 
Doug preached a few weeks back, the beginning of James chapter 5, the warning to rich oppressors, which it takes a lot of weaseling to get out from under that as North Americans. The truth is we are, in many ways, the rich oppressors, and we need to, to see ourselves in that light to some extent whenever we, we read that passage. Because North Americans, we tend to view ourselves very singularly, and we tend to view ourselves very proudly. We tend to view ourselves as we need to be able to handle things on our own. We need to be capable on our own. We need to be financially independent. We need to be able to cope with whatever life throws at us, whether we are part of a church or not, whether we have friends or not. We live in a world that says we need to put our best face forward at all times. I, I am a Facebook user. I am an Instagrammer. I am not a Snapchatter. I don't get that one. But all of these, all social media has taught those who use it the deft art of image management and public relations. Because everything that we put on it, no one puts, like, okay, there might be, like, the, the hashtag, you know, no makeup selfie thing. But the reality is even when there's the hashtag no makeup selfie thing, you're still, like, making sure your hair's looking good and it's the right angle and it's good light and you're not, like, taking the shot from here right after you've woken up. And when you put a photo on Facebook... I, I challenge you all this week who, who regularly post to Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever, take honest photos of yourself and see what they really look like. I, I personally, I do not put pictures of myself in sweatpants on Instagram. I only put photos where I am doing something cool with some people who are cool that make me look like I'm living the hip, cool life. That is the culture we live in, where we put our best foot forward and we don't let people see behind that best foot. That's what it looks like with younger people. Unfortunately, I'm not that old yet. And so I can't necessarily speak to what it always looks like for the older generations. But I have seen it in every generation. I have seen it in every generation in our church that need to put the best foot forward in however we go about things. James says that as a community, we need to be aware of what's going on in our community. We need to keep an eye out for it. We need to be aware when people are suffering, when they are happy, when they are sick. And in the New International Version, it says he should pray, but... The Greek word at the root of he should pray can also be translated and is often translated now as let him pray or let them pray. And it is the act of as we as a community see someone suffering or in joy or in sickness, it is our job to help them come before God. 
and bring whatever is going on, good or bad, before God. This is one of the big ideas of this passage, is no matter what you are going through in life, good or bad, if it's going well, bring it to God. If it's going poorly, bring it to God. And on both sides of that spectrum, it's easy to not do that. It's easy when things are going well to take credit for ourselves, and when things are going poorly to say, God, you've let me down. But God wants to be a part of it all. And he promises that when we come to him, there is a result. Is anyone among you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. It is a powerful promise. And it is a promise where James is very deft in his language. The word sick, is any one of you sick? is the word asthenia in Greek, which translates as without strength. This word appears throughout scripture in two main contexts, physical and spiritual. And in verse 15, it says, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The word there is actually the word that often gets translated as will save the sick person. And it is sozo, and it also gets translated with the double meaning of physical salvation and spiritual salvation. And so we have James laying out a passage dealing with healing that talks about all of us. The outward stuff, the inward stuff, all of it. And it is a promise. The Lord will raise him up. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. It's a powerful promise. And I want you to know that it is a true promise. That we have a God who heals. We have a God who does heal, who does the miraculous, who does care for us and love us and want us to be whole in every sense. And this is where it gets tricky because Jesse and Melanie aren't sitting with us. They're not here with us. And I know that many of us prayed in earnest for Mel, in particular for her future, for her healing. And there's, there's no 
easy answer to why God did not heal. The only answer that I have found can be a tough pill to swallow. And that is understanding faith and where faith comes from. Ephesians 2.8, For you have been saved by grace through faith. This is not of your own doing, but a gift of God, so that no one can boast. James 1.21, Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. And there are other verses throughout Scripture that show us the reality that our faith is in and of itself enabled by and given by God. He is ultimately in control and sovereign over everything. And that means that sometimes as the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, perfect God of the universe, he makes decisions that I don't get. And that is really hard. But he has given us faith. And he has called us to pray. And the way he answers those prayers does not change the fact that he deeply loved Mel and Jesse. It does not change the fact that when he does not heal, he does not stop loving. He is sovereign and all-powerful, but he is also deeply loving. And so this passage calls us with faith to pray And it's not necessarily an easy thing. But over and over and over and over again in this passage, James calls us to pray because we do have a God who does listen. We do have a God who loves us, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and he does make promises to us. And we may not understand and we may not see the whole picture, but he is unchanging and loving. James reminds us over and over again throughout his book 
Every good and perfect gift is from above, James 1.17. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadow. James 4. Come near to God and he will come near to you. And again, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. James doesn't promise easy. And as we've and as Terry preached last Sunday, he doesn't promise to whisk us out of suffering. He doesn't promise to make everything magically better, but he promises wholeness. He promises his love, he promises healing. And what I love is that he calls us to that and doesn't demand more than faith of us to be like Jessica and to give it up to God and to give it up to him because he wants to care for us. The example that James uses is Elijah and it says, and he says plainly, Elijah was a man just like us. In Jewish tradition, Elijah was on a bit of a pedestal as one of the greatest prophets, as this, you know, super prophet. He was a great man. But James reminds us that he was just a man. And God listens to him, and God listens to us. And he listens when we pray, when we pray with humble faith, when we let down some of our North American pride and open up to one another. Calling the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. It's interesting that This word anointing is a very caring word. There are different anointings in the Bible, and this is a different word than gets used when it talks about the anointing of Jesus. This is a word that has within it almost a medicinal quality. And it is a word that promises blessing and also promises care. And it lays out for us as a church that as we are aware of the suffering and sickness and joy within our body, that we care for one another. I was joking about it earlier this week that when it says that the elder should pray over him and anoint him with oil, a more modern translation might look like the elder should pray over him and rub some polysporin on the cut or some Vicks Vapo rub on the chest. Because the word anointed here is a word that, that speaks to the caring we are called to do for one another.
And so in this hard passage, I want you to see hope. I want you to see the hope that James sees of life devoted to, to faith and how that faith, because it is a gift from God, can move mountains. I want you to see that as James warns at the end to not be Sally for one last time before he finishes his letter, as he spends the last two verses giving the don't be Sally warning, my brothers, if one of you should wander f- from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Even as James gives this warning, he gives the hope of faith and says that no matter who we are and no matter how much we have sinned, returning, all of that sin will be covered. So no matter how far down the Sally path we have walked, it is never too late to turn in faith to Jesus and become like Jessica. We've been having some conversations in church this past week as staff about some of the ways that we can help the people in our church family care for the people in our church family. And, uh, and we're going to be talking to you more about that in the next weeks. We're going to be talking to you about the possibility of joining a group or groups where we talk about things, where we work through things to the glory of God and to the healing of, of, of our souls and the healing of, of different kinds of pain, especially grief and loss. And you'll be hearing more about that in the weeks to come. But if you are interested in something like that, I'd invite you to come talk to me or come talk to one of the pastors. Um, we'd like to, to talk about that with you. And Pastor Alpha is going to close this morning. I don't know about you, but this week has been a bit of a roller coaster ride for me emotionally. And I'm sure for a number of others, it could be the same. Yesterday, I was in tears. This morning, I literally in my room was singing some of the praises out of the old hymn book. I've shifted. And when I come to God in prayer, I want to bring all of that. I have to decide whether I'm going to be a Jessica or a Sally with all the struggles that God has presented to me in my life, just as you do for yours. So let me pray for you as you go today that God will bless you and be the lifter of your head in a very personal way this week. Oh, Lord, our Father, I have no idea what's going on in the minds and the hearts of people in this audience. I can guess, but probably my guesses are wrong. Only you know, and then. But I come with real joy and also pain and share with your glory and your promise to be the lifter of all of our heads this week. So whether we're singing your praise and you lift our head to something higher yet, or whether we're struggling and really don't know which way we're going in life, or whether we're in the pit of despair, whether we've come from another country 
sometimes under real pressure that nobody here seems to know about. I pray, O oh God, I pray, O oh God, that you be the lifter of each person's head and bond us together into a church and a community that's safe so we can share our own pain and reflect your glory. For Jesus' namesake, amen.